you for listening to this message from Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. We hope you'll be inspired to honor God and make disciples. Well, good morning, church. Today we are completing a four-part series entitled, Thank God, It's Monday. This has been a series about work. And Thank God, It's Monday can only be said by someone who really likes their job. Uh, For some of us, that would be a miracle. Amen? It would really have to be a work of God. And the goal of this series is to renew our thinking and renew our attitudes about work. And in the process of renewing our minds, it's all about our ideas of what work is. And have you ever stopped to consider how your ideas of work compare to what the Bible says about work? In the Bible, the word for work is abad, which means blessed labor, which is why a mother raising her children seven days a week can be blessed in her labor even though she doesn't get paid for it. Somebody said amen? (laughs) My wife, Terry, she stayed home with our girls uh, when they were little until they were old enough to go to school, and it was a lot of work, and she didn't get paid for it, but her work was a blessing. In this series, We've said work is not about your job, it's not about your career, it's not about your occupation, it's not about what you get paid for. John Stott, a prominent theologian in the previous century, he he passed away in 2011. He wrote a very good definition of the meaning of work. And he said this, work is the expenditure of energy, both manual and mental, in the service of others, which brings fulfillment to the worker, benefit to the community, and glory to God. Now, that's a great definition. He said, work is the expenditure of energy. If you're not expending energy, you're not working. You're wishing. He said, it's the expenditure of energy in the service of others. In other words, the only reason you should get paid is if you're offering a service to others. And he went on to say, work is fulfillment to the worker. It's fulfilling when you contribute to your family. It's fulfilling when you contribute to your community. And this brings glory to God. And as we began this series about work that is blessed, uh, we started with God. And we said, God is the God who works. Amen? God is the God who works. We said God is the first worker God is the finest worker, and God fulfills our work. In the second week, we answered this question. What is the work that works? What is the work that works? And we said the work that works is work done in humility, because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace. That is, he gives favor to the humble. Secondly, the work that works is work done with purity. And we highlighted a powerful scriptural principle, which is this. The greater the purity, the greater the influence, as we see in the life of Christ. And lastly, the work that works is work done in faith. When our work is synchronized with what God is doing, then the results are greater than what you could accomplish on your own. Amen? Last week... Armin talked about the man who works. And he said there are three kinds of workers. 
There are those who are driven by compulsion. There are those who are driven by obligation. And there are those who are driven by passion. And today, we are concluding our series as we talk about the rest that works. The rest that works. Years ago, I had the opportunity to talk to a trainer for the Navy SEALs. And I was curious about their training routine. I like to work out, and I wanted to know what their workout routine looked like and what their weekly schedule looked like. And as he described it to me, I was surprised to find out how much time they had dedicated specifically for the purpose of rest. I said, really? He said, yes. He said, you can, he said we work out really hard. He said, you can get to the point where you overtrain. You can get to the point of diminishing results. You can get to the point, instead of building fitness and muscle, you can deplete fitness and muscle. Rest actually results in greater productivity. Rest makes you ready. And therefore, it becomes an important activity. This is true not just for your physical body. This is also true for your spirit and for your soul. As we talk about the Sabbath, it's important to know that there are three different views about the Sabbath. One of these views is called the legal view. In the legal view, the Sabbath is supposed to be done on a certain day, and you are supposed to conduct yourself in a certain way. And this is what the Pharisees were known for. And Jesus addressed this legalistic view in Mark 2. Beginning in verse 23, we read, One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful? Notice they're they're using a legal term. Why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? You ever meet these kinds of people? Uh, Excuse me, what are you doing? You're doing that here? You're doing that now? You know, these kinds of people are all about do's and don'ts, and they miss the heart of people. I love Jesus' answer. He said, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and he ate the consecrated bread which is lawful only for the priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. And then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Here's the principle. Jesus is saying this. People are more important than our do's and don'ts. That's how we know if we're legalistic. We're legalistic when we act as if the practice is more important than the person. It's legalism when the practice is more important than the person. Jesus saw the legalism and he had to do some teaching. When you see legalism, gently remind the legalist that people are more important. Amen? We may not change the rules, but we can change the way we interact with people. One day I was down at Marble Cave For those of you who don't know, um, that's this really cool spot. It's a swimming hole down in this really cool cave. And I was there with about 20 friends. It was a church outing, and it was kind of a family activity. And 
Some of them brought their kids. And so we're having a good time swimming in the water. And four teenage boys showed up in the cave. And they started climbing up high in the rocks. And then they would jump out over the rocks and land in the swimming hole where the rest of us were swimming with kids. And the first time that happened, I went, whoa, what's going on? And then they did it again. And I thought, okay, how am I going to handle this? And so I climbed up to the rocks where they were perched. And there was one guy up there, and he was squatting down, and water is dripping off his shorts. And I came up next to him. I said, hey, how's it going? I said, my name's Mark. And we shook hands. I said, what's your name? He said, yeah, this is a cool place, isn't it? I said, yeah, you know, I'm here with a bunch of my friends. I said, hey, uh, you know, some of us brought our kids. Would you mind if you and your buddies, you know, you guys didn't jump in the water while the kids are swimming? I didn't know that I happened to be talking to the leader of the group. Without hesitation, he whistled really loud. He went, and all his buddies looked up, and he gave a signal like this, like to cut it. And it was done. And, you know, sometimes there are situations where common sense rules are broken. And how do we handle it? Treat people as if they're more important than the practice, and the results will surprise you. Having said that, remember this. People have different views about when to practice the Sabbath. For some people, it starts on Friday at sunset. For others, it's on Saturday. For others, it's on Sunday. And for others, it's whatever day my boss gives me off on my schedule. (laughs) You know, how do we respond to that? What about the young mother who cares for her children 24-7? It gets complicated. The Apostle Paul said this in Romans 14.5, Some think one day is more holy than another day, while others think every day is alike. You should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. The Apostle Paul is saying that it's a matter of conscience. He says you should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. I hope this is helpful to you as we learn to navigate legalism. Next, we have the liberal view of the Sabbath. And in the liberal view, the Sabbath is an excuse to go out and live in excess. I mean, thank God it's Friday. And you can go out and you can eat all the popcorn you want and drink all the soda you want and watch all the movies and the TV that you want. Or for some people, it's about going out and getting drunk and getting high. You know, the whole thank God it's Friday cultural phenomenon is a substitute for the real thing. It's a substitute. And substitutes never really last. For those who go out and party on Friday night, they wake up on Saturday not feeling rested, but feeling wasted. So you have the legalistic view, and you have the liberal view, and then we have the biblical view of the Sabbath. The biblical view goes all the way back to Genesis Long before God ever wrote the Ten Commandments for Moses, he completed, a work of, he completed a week of work in creation, and then he rested. God completed a cycle of work, and then he rested. And it wasn't that his work was completely finished. I mean, how many of you know God is still at work today? John five seventeen, Jesus said, My Father is always at work, and I too am working to this very day. It's not that his work was done. It's about a cycle and a rhythm of work. 
In the very beginning of creation, God demonstrated the principle of work and rest. In the New Testament, we gain a fuller understanding of the Sabbath. The Apostle Paul said in Colossians 2, Do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. In the Old Testament, the Sabbath was a type or shadow of a greater reality found in Christ. The Apostle Paul is talking about a rest that can only be found in Jesus. Let me explain how this works. Although we know rest is important, some of us don't know how to rest, right? I mean, if you have some time off and you feel guilty because you're not doing something, then you're probably one of those people who don't know how to rest. Sometimes the reason is not because of a physical condition. Sometimes the cause is spiritual. For example, sometimes a lack of rest can be caused by depression. When people are depressed, one of the symptoms can be a loss of rest. Another cause of unrest can be fear or a mild form of fear called anxiety. Let me give you an example. A common fear is the fear of rejection. We can have anxiety over whether or not we're accepted. And when we're afraid of rejection, we perform for approval. The problem with performing for approval is that the performance treadmill never ends. It looks like this. You're at work or you're at school or maybe you're a son or a daughter doing your chores at home and you do something well and you get a pat on the back or you get an allowance or you get your paycheck or you get some appreciation and you're like, you know what, that feels pretty good. I like this acceptance. I like this approval. And so that encourages you to work even harder. And then you get even more recognition. You get more significance, which encourages you to work even harder. But you know, at some point, you're going to reach your maximum. You're going to be doing your very best of all your skills and abilities and your experiences that you have. And at one point, after you keep operating in your maximum, the people around you start thinking that's your norm. And all of a sudden, after three weeks, three months, three years, pretty soon people aren't appreciating you as much anymore because that's just normal. We just expect you to do that all the time. And so then when you're not getting the pat on the back, you're not getting the appreciation, you're not getting the approval, then it's like, you know what? I don't feel so good about this anymore. I don't feel so happy about it. And so then you start coming down the other side of your performance and it begins to wane, begins to decrease. You know what? People at the office, they're not appreciating me. Somebody else is getting acknowledged for this or for that. And I don't feel like doing it anymore. And so you begin to let a project slip here, or you're just not as motivated to do what you used to do. And your, your performance wanes a little bit more. And then pretty soon, people start looking at you like, what's wrong, man? How come you're not performing like you always used to do? And, and now they're actually looking at you negatively, which is even worse. It's like, now I, don't even, I really don't want to do it. And pretty soon I get to a point where, you know what, nobody appreciates, I don't, want to, I don't even want to go to work. In fact, Monday comes around, instead of thank God it's Monday, it's like, oh God, it's Monday. I don't even want to go to work. And then we're in this place of it's kind of like depressing. 
and it's lonely there, and it's sad, and it's dark, and it's no fun, and who wants to stay there? And so maybe if I, I just do a little something. I remember I had a friend, he, his room was dark, and he had the blinds shut, and it was messy. You know, and I, I came over to his place to hang out with him for a summer, and I cleaned up the room, and I opened the windows, and his mom came in, and she's like, wow, this is amazing, this is so neat. You know, and, and, and if you do something like that and people start to respond, then it's like it's, it's, it's encouragement. And so then you're motivated to do a little bit more. And there's more encouragement and you're motivated to do a little bit more and the, and the cycle repeats itself. The problem with performance is we can never rest because performance can never justify us. Performance can never offer lasting approval. Performance can never offer significance because it's always conditional. It's conditional because it's always based on your performance. And it's an unending cycle. And the only way to find true rest is to find the true source of acceptance. You have to find the source of approval. You have to find the source of significance. How many of you know where I'm going? There's only one source. You'll never find unconditional love from your boss. (laughs) Surprisingly, you'll never even find unconditional love from your spouse. And you'll never find unconditional love from your friends. True rest is only found in Jesus. And that statement may not register because many of us think that rest is something that you have to do. It's not. Rest is something you enter into. Hebrews 4.3 says, Only we who believe can enter into his rest. Rest is something God has already prepared. We simply enter into it by faith. Hebrews 4.1 says, God's promise of entering his rest still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. I encourage you to read all of Hebrews chapter 4. It's all about entering into the Sabbath rest. When we're tired because we've been striving to be approved or to get our needs met, Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and tired, and I will give you rest. His rest is something we enter into by faith. That's what the Sabbath is all about. That's what it's all about. If we don't do that, our body and soul become so tired, we begin to break down because we're no longer connecting and we're no longer abiding in the source. And when that happens, you can end up in the hospital or you can end up in the counseling office because you've been running too hard for too long, you've been going too fast and not recharging your battery. But there's another reason, even more important for the Sabbath than your personal health. There's another reason more important for the Sabbath. God created Adam on the sixth day, and then he rested on the seventh. I invite you to imagine that for a moment. God created Adam on the sixth day, and then he rested to enjoy his creation. So here's a question. When Adam gained consciousness... What was his first experience? The very first day Adam was alive, 
What was his experience? His dad was not off at work somewhere. His dad was there to watch him and to enjoy him. You know, it reminds me of when we, bought, when we brought our daughter Tara home, our oldest, the very first night, brought her home from the hospital. We laid her down in the middle of the bed, and we literally stayed up all night, and we didn't sleep, and we just stared at her. I remember just looking at her going, wow, it moves. <laughs> the first day Adam was alive, his dad was there to watch him and enjoy him. That happened on the Sabbath. Here's the point. The Sabbath is God's appointment with you. In that sense, we can say that rest is an act of fellowship with God. It's very important that you recharge on a weekly basis. It's important to take time to fellowship with God and to enjoy God. And the key word is enjoy. It's important to take time to enjoy God. And do you know why the key word is enjoy? Did you know that joy and rest go together? Joy and rest go together. Let me put it this way. You can't rest without joy. You cannot rest without joy. Let me ask you this. When you're stressed out and you're unhappy, do you feel rested? Even after you've slept? No. When we're depressed, we feel drained. Even after a night of sleep, we wake up and we go, ugh, do I have to get up? Joy is necessary to experience rest. Joy is why some people can go to the gym and they can feel rejuvenated, even after a hard workout, because they enjoy working out. Other people, they go to the gym and they get depressed. Because there's no joy in it. (laughs) Joy creates rest. There's wisdom in spending time alone with God through something that you enjoy. Do you like nature? Do you like worship? Do you like fellowship with people? Do you like a good cup of coffee? Do you like listening to music? Use whatever you enjoy as a means of spending time alone with God, and you will find rest. Rest is an act of fellowship with God. Secondly, rest is an act of freedom. Rest says, my work doesn't control me. How many of us can say that? (laughs) My work does not control me. Rest says, my work doesn't define my meaning in life. Rest says money doesn't control me. I don't have to worry about all my needs being met and I got to work on the weekend. Money doesn't control me. Rest says fear of failure doesn't control me. You know, I got so many things to do on my to-do list and I just, I need to work, you know, even on my day off. And rest says fear of failure doesn't control me. Rest says fear of lack doesn't control me. I don't have to keep striving and working hard to do all these things to make ends meet. When you can truly rest, it demonstrates an act of freedom. Turn to your neighbor and say, be free. Lastly, rest is an act of faith. The first time God told the children of Israel to take a day off, you have to understand the context. 
He told them to take a day off. And the context was this. They had been slaves for 400 years. All they knew was work. Or more insightfully, all they knew was trusting in themselves. When God said, you will not work one day out of the week, you know what the first question was? How are we going to eat? How many of you know that's still the same question for many people today? You know, if I don't work on the weekend, how am I going to make ends meet? God was teaching them how to trust him. He said, don't worry, I'll provide for you. And he did, through the manna, a double portion on the sixth day so they didn't have to go out and work on the seventh day collecting it. God wasn't after conformity to a weekly schedule or routine. He was after their hearts. He was teaching them how to trust him, to be the provider for their food, for their rest, for everything. As we come to a close, how about you? What is God teaching you? Just ask yourself, God, what are you saying to me? Is he saying something about work? Is he saying something about rest? Is he inviting you to trust him in ways that are new? What does that mean for me? Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Father, thank you for your plan for our lives. Lord, thank you that you've created work to be a blessing. And you've created rest to be, a, to be a blessing. And Father, I pray that you would give us the ability to be able to fit in with your design, your blueprint for life. Lord, what are you saying to me? Father, how should I apply your word in my life? God, would you give me the ability to experience you, whether it's in work or in rest? Father, I pray that you would give me the ability to be able to live the life as you intend. Father, would you show me the way? Father, help me to be the person that I need to be. Lord, I can't do it without you. So I ask you, Holy Spirit, to work in and through me to experience life as you intended.